0: Hello and welcome to the New Books Network's African American Studies channel. I'm your host, Jane Stancil, and today I have a great interview with Elizabeth Reich. Elizabeth Reich, she's the author of a book, Militant Visions Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Traf- Transformation of American Cinema. Dr. Reich Hello and welcome to the New Books Network's African American Studies channel. I'm your host, Jane Stancil, and today I have a great interview with Elizabeth Reich. Elizabeth Reich, she's the author of a book, Militant Visions, Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Transfer- Transformation of American Cinema. Dr. Reich is a professor at Connecticut College. I really enjoyed my interview with her. Her book is about World War II, up through the Vietnam War, and the portrayal of African-American soldiers in cinema. I think you're really going to enjoy this. We had a good time in our interview. So if you're interested in African-American history, film studies, or um, military history, definitely check out this podcast. And here we go. Enjoy yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm James Stancil, the host of the African-American Studies channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Reich. Dr. Reich is an outstanding, well-known film studies scholar, and she is going to be talking today about her book, Militant Visions, Black Soldiers, Internationalism, and the Transformation of American Cinema. So you have a great treat today in front of you. All right. Would you be um, willing to introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Sure. Sure. Elizabeth Reich, and I'm the author of Militant Visions, and I'm really happy to be here today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I know we've had some challenges connecting with each other, but now we're going to make it happen and make it work. Um, Would you mind just maybe telling us a little bit about yourself
1: and your background? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Boston and uh, spent my Whole childhood there. Um, I moved to New York city for college and, um, took a little time off in the middle to make a film, made a documentary about queer youth group, uh, the first queer youth group in the country. Yeah. And I, I worked at a couple of nonprofits, um, primarily with young people in the city. And, um, I did that for, for a, couple years and then I decided I wanted to go back to school finish up my degree so I could teach so I got Mm -hmm. a a BA in film and English and I went on to teach uh, English language at a high school um, English language and literature at a high school and a middle school in New York City and did that for three years and then I went to grad school to get my PhD I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Ah, and, uh, Big Ten. Yeah, and I had a wonderful time there. Um, if 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 anybody could have a wonderful time in grad school, that is say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: yes, that's a conversation for off there. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> and um and then I I got my first tenure track job at Wayne State University in Detroit. I was there Detroit, for years. year. Right. And um now I've been at Connecticut College for the last three years. Okay. Wow.
0: Detroit. Connecticut, right there, back near in the New York City area, right? Yeah,
1: Connecticut's in New London, so it's kind of actually little... closer to Boston, really, than New uh, York. Oh, okay. Um,
0: but Boston, you also spent some time in as
1: as well. Yeah, so. up there, spent a lot of time in New York, so I'm equidistant between two of my cities.
0: Uh, would you like to give a shout out to uh, your former students, maybe uh, at the schools where you
1: work? Oh, definitely. And <laughs> my and my current students at okay. at Con and at Wayne State, um, they've really have been instrumental in helping me get this book done because it's it's in teaching that at least i have my best thoughts so
0: right right um, i understand yeah and we do it we do it for them we definitely do it for them
1: yeah that's true we do it for them and we do it to keep our jobs
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes definitely do (laughs) we do it to keep our 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 jobs right those tenure track positions
1: yeah it's hard to Um, come by
0: and you, um, you mentioned, you know, your students were, you know, inspirational for you and such. Did, did you have a mentor that you um, would like to maybe mention? I have
1: had so many. I am blessed because I've had so many wonderful mentors. I think the reason that at every stage I've wanted to teach or work with young people is because of the really amazing mentoring I've had. Right. Um, I think that the person I'd want to name is my eighth grade English teacher, Carol oh. Strasburger. Um, okay. She's somebody. Ms. Strasburger. Yeah, Carol, if you you sit in her class and you really think that you might be able to do anything. We'll have
0: to send her a copy of this podcast. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, she'll be yeah. pleased to hear it. She's she's still in the Boston area and Awesome.
0: And one of her former students has made good.
1: Yes, I made good. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Now, I don't know if she would have thought that you would be writing about African American soldiers. Mm-hmm. Maybe she maybe she would have but that's the subject of the book we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My guess is she wouldn't have guessed that.
0: <laughs> so the subtitle is Black Soldiers, Internationalism and the Transformation of American Cinema. Can you just kind of give our listeners maybe a brief overview of what your book is all about?
1: Sure. So Militant Visions offers a new history of the cinema from okay. World War II through the end of the Vietnam War. Right. And it does that by identifying an understudied cinematic figure, the black soldier. Okay. Right. And, and in the book, I argue that this figure's transformation across what is essentially a long civil rights period okay. um, was fundamental to changes not only in U.S. race culture, American culture more broadly, but also U.S. global policies and the cinema okay. itself. And so that's kind of the main big argument of the book, but there's a second argument, uh, that I think is almost more significant now while the Mm -hmm. book's coming out than it was when I was started to write it, which is that the figure of the black soldier is a really important one in, in U S history and African American history. And and this has been said before, um, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't been talked about its role in cinema. Hasn't been talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that this is a figure that emerges out of a hundred year film history and a much longer um, history of struggle in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it's one that really reflects the struggles of um, African-America across wars, but also peacetime. um, And and that and that it shows the ways in which black Americans political identity at home has also been really powerfully shaped by contacts um, in Europe, in the developing world, in East Asia, um, and and that the soldier's been such an important um, vehicle for those kinds of transformations um, back at home. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, the way in which the book traces out the transformations from um, kind of a, a conservative figure who's really invested right. in assimilation, mm-hmm. in gaining right. all of the rights and privileges of full citizenship and willing to put his life on the line to do so. Absolutely. Um, that, that he's, you know, over time over the frustrations of kind of a failed civil rights period transforming mm-hmm. into somebody who is more militant, more separatist, mm-hmm. more invested mm-hmm. in revolution. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, today we have Folks like, and, and I'm I'm not suggesting they're mainstream; they're outliers. Sure, but folks sure. like Micah, Xavier Johnson, and Gavin Long, who are um, who are veterans, who are mm-hmm. angry and and mm-hmm. see themselves as representing the Black cause, um, and have turned against the state. Um, right. So that's a movement that, in some ways, we can really trace even in the cinema, where you know the 1943 films that are coming out about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black soldiers are also these very conservative films. And then by the 70s, we have characters like uh, Freeman in The Spook Who Sat By The Door or more popular characters like Sweetback and Shaft who are these black renegades who are Mm -hmm. really totally different than than the soldier who I argue was, you know, their ancestor.
0: Wow. Um, Sounds like definitely some interesting reading or well, people who are interested in African-American history, African-American studies, in particular, older soldiers, um, my father being one of them. He's uh, He was drafted into the Vietnam War, and he's already trying to get my copy of your book here.
1: <laughs> That's really so, sweet.
0: <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll send that to him. Maybe I can get you to autograph a copy for him.
1: Done. Absolutely.
0: All right. And you mentioned, uh, uh, in terms of, like, a connection to today's world, you mentioned Gavin Long and the other gentleman. Just for clarification purposes, can you – just kind of explain why you mentioned them.
1: Sure, um, and I, I said, and I'll, I'll say it again: they are obviously outliers. They are, you know, really or were really disturbed, unhappy, angry mm-hmm. people. But um, I think that it's important that we consider them in the this history of um, what has happened to black soldiers in this country, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know that is not purely a cinematic history, mm-hmm. but um, but the way that we can look at it through the cinema I think is mm-hmm. um, gives us some new insights um, and mm-hmm. so the the history that they 're part of what what made me bring them up is one in which um, African American men, primarily mm-hmm. men um, are asked to wear the uniform of the state, represent a right. country in which right. they don 't have any kind of full participation, right? They're not mm-hmm. guaranteed right. the same safeties. They're not guaranteed the same privileges. So mm-hmm. for instance, in 43, black men are over in Europe fighting against fascism, basically mm-hmm. fighting against racism in Europe, mm-hmm. but yet at home, they're still Jim Crowed. And even in, in the armed forces, they are, um, many of them were, uh, were black northerners who were under, who are having to serve under white, Southern officers. So right. I mean, the racial dynamics in the military were just horrible for these men. Um, mm. So there, so there's just like a structuring irony um, for them in terms of the ways in which they're they're willing to sacrifice their lives, and yet they're they're not really living full lives at home. They're you know maybe living full lives emotionally, but not free mm. lives.
0: Absolutely. So and, I think
1: I think that I, I guess the point that I would make in connecting it up to the present time is. This really hasn't ended. Um, you know, things may be better in the military, per mm-hmm. se, although if Gavin Long and, and Micah Johnson are any evidence, perhaps mm-hmm. not. Um, but they're certainly not better in our civil society. Um, okay. And the relationship between police and, and citizen is, is no better. So we still have soldiers who are, are you know, going abroad or doing their, doing their service and becoming radicalized.
0: Mm-hmm. over time. And just for, yeah, for for just for clarification, those two gentlemen that she mentioned were involved with shootings. Right. Yep. Um one in Dallas and I believe mm-hmm. the other in um Bat- Baton, Baton Rouge, Rouge, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they uh, both, Louisiana. they
1: both shot I think it's really important that they both shot representatives of the US government.
0: Of the government, right. And you know, so um our listeners so maybe a few weeks ago, I think or a few weeks to a month ago, that uh, several months ago, that th- these things happened. So I wanted, just to make sure, right? What? Yeah, that's your research. So I know you know, <laughs> you know all of all about it. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they, that folk may know that those were the names that you mentioned right. are connected to the, to those incidents. Wow, and so again, this is militant visions, black soldiers, internationalism, and the transformation of American cinema. A uh, great book here by an outstanding professor. And, you know, just in our, our time that we have left here, um, just, we'll just kind of go through some of the topics that you have in the book, and if you want to just uh, take a few sure. uh, minutes to talk about each one. Your, your first, well, your introduction is about, you've gotten into this a little bit about, Historicizing and internationalizing the badass, right? Or yeah, that's sort of what I was cinematic. just
1: saying. Actually, is absolutely, that, right. Know, sweet, that sweet kind bag. of seventies radical figure has its origins in this more conservative history. But um, I guess I would say to kind of give an overview of the, t- the the chapters of the book, I would say that the the book's divided into two sections. The first right. half is um, all about films that were made during World War II, and it's it's films made by the U.S. government propaganda films, um right. films made by Hollywood and then films made by black independent filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And I kind of take take the slow path through that moment because I'm interested in kind of the, the moment that this figure appears on the scene in mm-hmm. Hollywood and US government films. Like why is this mainstream Government that is 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 very repressive of of black Mm -hmm. folks make suddenly making films about black soldiers. And of course, Mm -hmm. it had to do with an enlistment problem um, Mm -hmm. and really needing African-Americans to get on board. So I look at that really carefully in the way that the figure shifts in these different cinemas, um, the government cinema, Hollywood and black independent cinema. And and across a couple of genres of filmmaking, and I can say more about that if you want. Um, The second,
0: please
1: do. I'll just say first, though, that the second section moves a little more quickly through the decades of the civil rights movement, the Mm -hmm. 50s, 60s, and 70s, and kind of traces out more of that transnational or internationalist quality of the black soldier that um, I was speaking about before and Mm -hmm. looks at the ways in which. both black cinema itself and the black soldier and the representations of the black soldier were really forged in the midst of a uh, a really um, international moment and sphere. So kind of the argument that I make across that last section is that um, just as the black soldier and the um, increasing militancy for which with which he began to become associated in the sixties and seventies, just as, as he was, um, really shaped by his experiences abroad. So black American cinema, um, which we think of as again, an American cinema was also Mm -hmm. really shaped by its, its transnational and international origins. So like, you know, in chapter five, I look at, um, films by Melvin Van Peebles, who, Some of you may know made Sweet Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. That's kind of his famous film. But I look at his earlier film, which, um, whose Mm -hmm. success really led to the opportunity to make Sweetback. And that was a film that was made in France, in French, in part. Yes. And, um, and which is really inflected by, uh, very, um, French and European, new wave sensibility.
0: The story of a three-day yeah, pass. Yeah,
1: story of a three-day pass, exactly. Released as Le Permission in, in France in 68. And so that's kind of like a little um, example of what I, I think of as a somewhat larger phenomena of, of black cinema, black art cinema, black mm-hmm. independent cinema as really being something that that did not just originate in the U.S., but, but um, came up in the United States by way of black experiences abroad
0: and i can tell you um and i i saw that film when i was in a uh, film school oh yeah um as an undergraduate at unc chapel hill no
1: kidding yeah so I, cool. I remember, I didn't know, so I remember, i didn't know that people show it much
0: yeah well i it was i looked into it myself i checked it out of the library
1: got it yeah
0: because i was uh at one point i wanted to be a, a melvin van peoples type <laughs> you know myself so yeah. i was looking at um and i'm a you know 70s uh person so i'm very familiar with that that film so when i you know when i saw that you were talking about that i was like yes
1: yeah you know, it it seems on the I face of that. it like this very sweet story about a black soldier who's stationed a black american soldier stationed in france falls in love with a white woman they have sex he gets caught he gets demoted but mm-hmm. really if, if you read it more carefully i think it 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 tells us a lot about, you know, not just the the anger and frustration that black Americans were feeling, but also about the way in which US hegemony, like in, in the form of the military, follows right. this guy wherever he goes. Like there is no space outside of America. There is no space outside of American racial mores. There is no space outside of that uniform that he should be proud to wear, but is instead really repressed and suppressed by wearing. So, you know, this effort on his part to be part of the United States and and participate in in, you know, theoretically helping others through his service is, Mm -hmm. in fact, an experience that wounds him in in many ways from preventing, you know, a love relationship he wants to have to really just hurting his soul and leaving him in a in a very angry place.
0: Mm. And, you know, um, listening to what you're saying about the suitors who come back and, you know they are fighting for freedom that they don't have at home you know it reminds me of um some of the things i used to teach as a history teacher about the the black soldiers in world war 1
1: mm-hmm. yeah you know this,
0: coming back same thing every war
1: so this history of black soldiers you know i look at 43 to to 73 yeah because, that's your time period yeah for it, because yes. 43 is when the black soldier films mandated by the government start right and and i have some complex reasons for ending in 73 mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. But mostly, it has to do with the end of the Vietnam War, but okay. but um, the World War One history and an older history, in fact, is mm-hmm. really important. I mean, there have been black soldiers both serving the United States and turning against the state since the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. well documented. Mm-hmm. But the but the history of black soldiers in film is also really an old one, and it goes back to Birth of a Nation, that famous. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, that yeah, the NAACP kind of cut its teeth by protesting. Um, that was a film that, that starred this man in blackface, this white man playing Gus, who is this, you know, kind of rapist, Northern right. black soldier. Um, and he is like the thing that puts in motion, the forming of the KKK and this epic history, right? It's, it's his fault in in the film. Um, and then black independent cinema, which exists long before World War II. It just kind of crashes in the middle of the century for a while. Right. Um, black independent cinema really starts trying to respond to this film. And so there mm. were a number, number of filmic responses by Oscar Oscar. Show. Michelle. For instance, um, a short film called Trooper of Company K – and these are right. films that try to resurrect the figure of the black soldier. So it was watching those that really was very inspiring to me. and, and made
0: For me, you, right? Yeah, it
1: made me think, like, this is this is a very important figure historically, but it's mm. also a figure that shapes the evolution of U.S. cinema, and not just black cinema, but it's a great point. extreme American cinema, right? Absolutely. It's important in World War II, but it's important in Birth of a Nation, and Birth of a Nation is the film that everybody teaches as – establishing Mm. the modern film grammar so the black soldier and black representation itself is ironically fundamental to the way that whites see themselves
0: well there's a new birth of a nation that (laughs) we don't want to confuse the
1: the two so maybe that'll be a controversy but i i can't wait to see it
0: same same here maybe that'll be for the next for this century that'll be the birth of a nation that um people talk about
1: god long awaited
0: yeah, absolutely. And he's a great film filmmaker, Nate Parker. But yes, you're right. There are some controversies. We won't get into that yeah, in that's this podcast. podcast
1: part two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking of, of part two, it seems like uh, you maybe have some ideals about a part two for Militant Visions going back prior to World War II or from uh, Vietnam into today's world.
1: No, you know, no, I don't think that is where I'm gonna go next. Involved in two projects right now. The the first. Sure. Thanks. The, the first is um, a collaborative one. I'm working with uh, Anna Everett and Ryan Kernan, who are both um, African-Americanists as well. And uh, we're putting together a uh, collection of essays on Afrofuturism and social justice. Oh, so wow. it, okay. it's titled Justice in Time, Critical Afrofuturism wow. and the Struggle for Black Freedom and um it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit before it appears but uh, i'm really enjoying working on it right now and um and then i have a a another um solo project i'm working on which is about reparations okay um wow. and uh i'm interested in particular in studying reparations through the cinema because reparations mm. are all about time right it's, yes it's Great point. It's a belated phenomena. And <laughs> and and the and film is a time-bound medium that I think is uniquely suited for having this conversation about representation. Okay. So, yeah, look for that in, you know, anywhere from two to 30 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. For people who don't understand academia, they may not understand what you mean by that two to 30 years, but I, I certainly do. And whenever you get those projects going, we would love to, absolutely to have you back to discuss them. Um, up here. Thank you so um, much, James. Yeah, I'm enjoying talking with you today. And you know, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I, I want to, to ask you a question about two of my favorite films.
1: Okay.
0: With, uh, African-American soldiers and get your thought on that. If you could indulge me personally. Yeah, with, let's oh,
1: hope I've seen
0: them. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty certain you, you've seen them. You're an outstanding scholar. I know that you have seen them. Um, one is more recent. It's called a Spike Lee film, Miracle at St. Anna. And that's World War Two, you know it's a fictionalized version of a true event. Any thoughts from you,
1: yeah, uh-huh. I write about it in my conclusion actually because the the last bit of the book I make this whole argument about why I'm ending in seventy three and why the figure of the black soldier that I'd looked at is is really no longer in existence mm-hmm. and um I would say that The Miracle at St. Anna is one of the films that kind of is the exception to, to what I'm claiming is that rule, because okay. the black soldier there is one who is also really invested uh, mm-hmm. by Spike Lee in right. in this long history. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the way in which he's portrayed, the way in which he he um, interacts with with Stories about uh, not just American nationhood but America's imperial role in the globe um, right. I think is uh, m- means that he does a similar kind of work to to mm. that of the soldiers that I'm looking at in the meat of the book um, mm-hmm. At the mm-hmm. same time I, I kind of you know I, I think it's important to say that this film appears after the the civil rights movement it has ended. Right. Right? And and failed in in many ways. I mean In a sense, sure. The votes happened but but not a lot else. And so in a way the impact of such a film is is lessened or at least extremely different in the context mm-hmm. of today. Right? Like okay. just imagine what a film like that coming out in say fifty five would have been <laughs> like,
0: right? It wouldn't have been able to come out in fifty five <laughs> Well, there
1: were some pretty radical films that came out, but yeah. But yeah, you're right. Spike Lee, Spike Lee. would not have been able to be Spike Lee in '55. No question. It would have been
0: a, a bit, a bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh, one more. Uh, this is a film. Well, maybe two more. Maybe I can sneak another. <laughs> I mean, I'm really enjoying our conversation because, as a history person and as a former film person, it's like you know you're speaking my language. <laughs> but uh, a soldier story. Oh uh, yeah. From the yeah from the uh, early '80s there, based on the uh, well-known play. Yeah. Um, that movie was very influ- influential for me as a young person. You know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, then I'm inclined to say that I loved it, <laughs> but um, but oh no, you,
0: I mean you can be critical of it. No,
1: huh? you know, I didn't find it as compelling a film as, like for instance, Miracle of St. Anna. Oh. Um, I felt like the story it told was, you know, historically fairly accurate seeming one, the characters were great, you know, it was fully mm-hmm. rendered. But for me, it played into, you know, played into a strong, a strong way to put it. Okay. I think that there is a problem that happens with a lot of the films that sort of tell us about the like harsh realities of black life, right. um, but end with some kind of catharsis, where mm-hmm. In particular, white people can go to the cinema, see that movie, think, geez, things used to be tough, or even things are still tough today. But in the case of the soldier story, it's set in the past, right? Things, things are tough, but the personal connections or, or the, the happy ending or the, um, catharsis that the film allows me to feel, uh, mm-hmm. kind of wins out. And so at the end of the day, I can leave this problem where I found it in the movie theater. Um, That's a great point. And yeah. the films I'm looking at in Militant Visions, one of the arguments I make is that they really are have within them some kind of didactic mm-hmm. effort on part of the directors or the actors. I mean, that, that there are really people involved in the projects who are trying to influence the audiences okay. um, and influence them in ways that might produce action. Okay.
0: That's a great, great point. I'm glad I asked you about it. Now I have a different way to... To look at that film, and I was a young, I was a, I won't say how young, but I was a younger person then, so it was nice. It's
1: a good film. It just, it just does a different kind of work. Yeah,
0: It, it was, it was a different kind. Now there's another movie that I saw on Turner Movie Classics years ago, and. I think it was a 50s film i can't think of the name i think it was a uh, home of the brave oh
1: well that that's the special is that film. what it's called that's a special film it's 1949 you're right, right. to think of it in terms of the 50s because it bears more in common with the 50s and the right. 40s yeah. and um my fourth chapter of my books on that film Absolutely that is a it's a weird film and i will say a word about it even though we're short on time cuz it's so interesting mm-hmm. it takes place during world war 2 even though it's made in 49 and right. it has um an integrated army troop which did not exist in in, in, in
0: <laughs> not yet <laughs> no it
1: did not exist during world war 2 so it anachronistically integrates the military and i think that the reason it does so and um it it tells the story of of a, a really ill hysterically paralyzed soldier who believes that racism is what has made him sick. Um, And an army psychiatrist eventually convinces him that that's that's not the problem. The problem is just generalized war trauma and he walks again and everything's fine. The reason that I think the film has this particular story and has this integrated cast is because um, it's It's coming out at this moment at which black GIs, black vets are um, suddenly moving into the suburbs, going to Mm. college, right? The GI Bill is carrying them into white America and assimilation, integration not going so well. So this is a film that I read is really about America's struggles with integration on the one hand and its desperate need as it's fighting the Cold War or beginning to fight the Cold War to project an image of the United States as an integrated place because the U.S. is looking for allies in the third world. It's looking for brown people to say, yeah, we want to side with you instead of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, by the way, has a real history of of doing good work in terms of racial integration. The U.S. does not. So Home of the Brave is this film that kind of like so many of the black soldier films does this mm-hmm. double duty and like the black soldier himself, right? This duty that's, that's, of yeah, kind of that. representing America as equitable and integrated while at the same time really suffering the consequences of the fact that America has not dealt with its racial demons. Hmm.
0: Wow. Well, thank, thank you for Doing that extra bonus interpretation, <laughs> you know, interpretive analysis there, there for me, and you know, I know you're a busy person. You mentioned your multiple projects. You're a professor. You're teaching. You're doing all those things. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time today. But I appreciate you taking a few minutes with us to talk about your book again the book is called militant visions militant visions the subtitle black soldiers internationalism and the transformation of american cinema i highly recommend this book her name is dr elizabeth reich dr elizabeth reich militant visions and she is a professor at connecticut college and any last shout outs that you want to give to anyone before we go, Dr. Reich? Just
1: to you, James. It's been a wonderful pleasure and a oh, great absolutely. interview. Thank Same. you so much.
0: Same here. So that'll be all for us this time on the African American Studies channel on the New Books Network. Again, this is James Stansel, and I will be signing off. And again, thank you, Dr. Reich, for your time. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Reich as much as I did. I've really had a good time talking with her. She's a fun person and a great professor. She has some uh, work coming out on Afrofuturism, and she also has some work coming out on reparations. So look out for her work there, and we'll try to get her back in on the African-American Studies channel a podcast in future episodes and editions. Again, her book is Militant Visions, Black Soldiers Internationalism and the Transformation of American Cinema. Elizabeth Reich, Connecticut College. We'll see you next time on the African American Studies channel, New Books Network. Again, this is James Stansel. Take care. Have a nice day.